Welcome back to Second Helping, the number one choice of podcast for college football fans, where the number one league in all of the sport is concerned. That league, of course, the Southeastern Conference. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BamaOnline.com, part of the 247sports.com network, joined as always by my great friend Brent Beard, college football analyst for First Coast News. Also, Brent, of course, a longtime voter for the Heisman Trophy. And Brent, safe to say... Safe to say, a wild and impactful week six in the SEC. Well, I know that the uh, Alabama A&M game got the lion's share of the attention, but I will tell you that the uh, uh, Travis, the Arkansas Ole Miss game going on at the same time as Texas and Oklahoma uh Probably a lot of batteries needed to be changed <laughs> Saturday afternoon and a lot of remotes, wouldn't it? I'll tell you what, the early window in college football in general, no doubt, Brent, uh, had some had some punch of maybe a Bloody Mary first thing in the morning <laughs> yeah. for fans of uh, both the Big 12 and the Southeastern Conference. And really, even with Oklahoma and Texas, some SEC interest there because you're talking about a future uh, two future members of the league, so I'm sure some eyes were pointed out towards Dallas, but we'll get started with that Ole Miss-Arkansas game in Oxford. I think we both liked Ole Miss in the game. Tough two-game stretch for Arkansas, both those games, Georgia and Ole Miss on the road, but plenty of fireworks. We're talking about 68 combined points in the <laughs> second half alone and whereas Matt Corral played an exceptional game, I've got to give a lot of love to K.J. Jefferson from sure. the Arkansas side of things. It really was a showcase game for both these quarterbacks. It really was. Jefferson, 25 of 35, uh, 326 and three touchdowns. Trav, this game had 1,287 yards, 674 yards rushing, uh, 61 first downs and 163 plays from scrimmage. I mean, those are those are numbers that you don't see for some teams in two or three games. So I, I mean, it's just incredible. So uh, and uh, how about Raheem Sanders for rushing for 139? We know what Traylon Smith can do. He had 85, and then the other Traylon and Traylon Burks, uh, and they actually outran. Uh, Ole Miss in that game. And, and, and Trav, I'll also say this. I know Pittman's got some criticism, but after they scored, uh, now, the, I don't think they called a real smart play necessarily, or maybe there, you had too many receivers in one area uh, as far as how that, that play broke down. But I don't fault Pittman at all knowing what Ole Miss had and trying to go for the win there at the end. No, I didn't mind the decision by Sam Pittman going for the win there at the very end of regulation as much as I'm with you. I didn't really like the play call. No. I know that it was a play that Arkansas had had success with earlier in the game, but I think if you're going to put the ball in the hands of K.J. Jefferson right there, uh, you do it obviously with a run-pass option in play. Sure. I think that's kind of what they were trying to do, but – Maybe work the corner in the flat with Jefferson rolling that way. Really put some stress on the corner for that Ole Miss defense. But a hell of a game. Very entertaining. KJ Jefferson over 400 yards between passing and rushing. Uh, you talk about running the football. Both these teams uh, well over or at least into 300 yards rushing, I guess. 
Henry Paris Jr. for Ole Miss, 111. Snoop Connor for Ole Miss, 110. Matt Corral, both the quarterbacks ran the ball effectively. <laughs> really did. Um, in this game. So for Ole Miss to get that kind of production without Jerry and Ely uh, showing up uh, on Saturday in, 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 the, in an impactful way, uh, huge, huge win for Lane Kiffin and the Ole Miss Rebels as they continue to look to try to maintain contact with Alabama atop the league standings, and as we'll talk about in a little bit. Got some help in that regard on Saturday night. Also in that early window on Saturday, Brent, the Florida Gators take care of business, as you would expect, against the struggling Vanderbilt Commodores. A feel-good afternoon, it seemed like anyway, for the Gators. Another big one for Emory Jones. We talk about quarterbacks doing it with their arm and their legs. Very efficient performance for Emory Jones. Still had an interception in the game, but four touchdown passes. Also ran it for 40 yards, and the Gators get what they need as they head into a couple of weeks here, a bye week, I guess, a part of that as well, where to have any chance in the East, they're going to have to take care of business. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Gator fans, Trav, as you know, never happy. Uh, the uh, thought Anthony Richardson should have played more, and, and there's probably something to that. Uh, the Gator quarterback, 4-6-25, but again, as you mentioned, you can't ignore Emory Jones going throwing for 273. He has over a thousand now. Uh, Naquan Wright uh, really uh, the the stats really don't show probably how well uh, that he played. It was another shutout against Vanderbilt. That defense, frankly, needed it. Florida still struggling uh, with penalties. Uh, they are, they were a little bit better uh, along that line in. And, and I'm also curious what you thought about this. Dan Mullen a little bit more uh, wrapped up on the sideline, yelling at the uh, assistants, uh, not as tranquil as he has been uh, a- as of late. Uh, on, uh, on Monday, he kind of blames himself a little bit. Trev, I'm just wondering if someone may have whispered in Dan's ear uh, about some, some of these off-the-field things he might need to deal with. Yeah, that would probably have to come from Scott Strickland, maybe the athletic yes, director himself, no if, if it happened. And even in that sort of scenario, potentially, I don't see Dan sticking with it all that long. Nope. I mean, nope. you knew this about Dan Mullen. Scott Strickland certainly knew it about Dan Mullen. They had a history with each other prior to Florida. So um, yeah, that's what you're going to get from Dan Mullen. That's that's the way it's going to be. And so, you know, we'll see how Dan holds up here over the rest of the month. <laughs> Of October, I'll tell you, an offense that's holding up right now is the one being engineered by Hendon Hooker up in yeah. Knoxville, Tennessee, yeah. understanding that you know, it hasn't been against Alabama, it hasn't been against Georgia, uh, hasn't been against, I guess you could say, even Kentucky at this point, but another impressive outing for that Tennessee offense in a 45-20 to win over the visiting South Carolina Gamecocks, 38 first-half points. For Tennessee, uh, they seem to be making a habit of that type of outburst here in the in the opening quarters the last couple of weeks. Uh, Trav, I think we knew at the beginning of the year uh, from following Josh Heupel that 
uh, even though the defense is still a work in progress, which is okay, that the offense would really find an identity, and they've done that with Hooker after they've been able to figure some things out. Uh, Trev, I don't know if this Evans kid at running back has got the credit he deserves. Yeah. Do you? Uh, at, a, at 119 yards, fifth in the league, Vellis Jones, 103 yards. Uh, and look, they have scored, or they scored 40-plus points once in three years under Jeremy Pruitt, and they've done it twice in the last three weeks under Hypol. Uh, by the way, Trav, I'm sure Bama fans uh, have not failed to notice that one of the uh, best performances of the week was one Brandon Turnage uh, for Tennessee that had 13 tackles, yeah. including one tackle for loss. Brandon Turnage, a physical corner. You can play him at some different spots in the secondary, primarily a corner at Alabama, but he has that body type where you can sort of project him at corner or slot corner, dime back, maybe even safety. A guy with still a lot of potential. That was a nice offseason pickup for Tennessee from Alabama, and suddenly that Alabama-Tennessee ticket price Coming up in a couple of weeks, looks like it might be on the rise as Tennessee fans getting excited. Hidden Hooker starting to put together, Brent, some of these rubber stamp Mm -hmm. stat lines. You know, 17 to 23, 225, three touchdowns, throwing it. And then he's still rushing for 60-plus or so a game. Boy, it was a big weekend for that in some of these games. These uh, dual-threat quarterbacks doing it with their arms and legs. And you said it, Tyon Evans, man. He's been outstanding, averaging 6.7 yards per carry. He's got six rushing touchdowns now on the season. He's been exceptional for the balls uh, to this point, no doubt about that. Let's talk about some other action from around the Southeastern Conference last Saturday, Brent, as we get into Auburn and Georgia in that mid-afternoon window. We kind of figured that for Auburn to have a chance and understanding how difficult this was going to be, some semblance of a run game was going to be required. And again, with the way Georgia defensively is able and has gotten after opponents where that area of the game is concerned, you knew it was going to be tough. Tech Bigsby, just 28 rushing yards. And in the game, he did have a touchdown run. That was something different for Georgia to give up to this point in the season. But so much of it, once again, on Bo Nix. And if I told you going into this game, Bo Nix is going to throw it 38 times in the game, Brent. I think you probably could have figured out what was going to follow. Uh, well, then it wasn't what they wanted, that's for sure. Uh, and and I, Trev, I, I, one of the things that I heard, and I give Rick Neuheisel credit for this, and I thought it was insightful during the broadcast. He got to talk about Bo and Neuheisel obviously, who uh, coached at some different schools, Colorado, UCLA, and, and, and has done a good job on Sirius Radio. He said, I described Bo Nix as frantic, uh, is the adjective that he used. He said the problem is Bo's tempo is much higher than his skill position players and he, and he was joking, but, I, but but we got the point. He said they ought to take the cleats off Bo and let him keep catch up 
with the tempo of his position players. And but I'll say this, Trav, in in terms of fairness, uh, th- those Auburn receivers are not very good. Uh, I, I mean, they drop a lot of passes. They don't run really good routes. And you you add Bo having to throw for 38 times, not being able to run uh, against now the number one team in the nation. Uh, boy, oh, that's not a good combination for Auburn, was it? No, I would make the case that Auburn's tight ends right now are ahead of their yeah, wide receiver personnel. Are. Demetrius Robertson, the former Georgia Bulldog, among others, here in the last four or five years, it seems like Bo's trust level is more with him than it is guys that have been in the program for a much longer period yeah. of time, which you would expect, even though Seth Williams is gone, Anthony Schwartz is gone. You know, some of these next wave guys have gotten reps sure. with Bo Nix, but it still doesn't look like there's much of a trust level there. Yeah. And as you said, on Bo's behalf, some of that, understandably so, because there hasn't been consistency at the wide receiver position. And that's before we even talk about the coaching situation at that spot here in the last couple of weeks. (laughs) But Demetrius Robertson at Georgia was a guy who couldn't emerge at a position where they desperately needed help last year. So that's what we're talking about right now is being maybe the guy in the eyes of Bo Nix that he's going to look to in a lot of situations. But from the Georgia perspective, one of those performances, once again, get it done with the run game. And then when Auburn loaded up on the run, Lad McConkey of all people, five catches, 135 yards, and a touchdown for the Georgia wide receiver. Tight ends, once again, have a place in what Georgia likes to do to a pretty large extent. A couple of explosive plays, a couple of three explosive plays from Bowers and Washington at the tight end position. That running back stable, very productive once again. And the question for me with Georgia right now, as much as anything, involves its ceiling offensively. I don't know if there's much room where Georgia is going to, much more room for Georgia to ascend. And I think that has a lot to do not only with the wide receiver position and some of the injuries and uh, some of the, the movement we've seen there, but with Stetson Bennett, Is he going to be the guy the rest of the way? I mean, we're talking about, and we'll get into this later in the week, a very unlikely potential SEC game of the year coming up on Saturday (laughs) in Athens. So does it feel like to you, Brent, that maybe Kirby Smart views Stetson Bennett as the guy here moving forward over JT Daniels with that injury? Yeah, well, he certainly trusts him, I think, as far as just to uh, and stay healthy. Uh, and, and again, that they they've really handled J.T. Daniels with kid gloves uh, with this land uh, situation. But I will say this uh, now: uh, Bennett, fourteen to twenty-one, and uh, also ran the ball a little bit, uh, also on play action was 8 of 10 from 174. Uh, I mean, he look, uh, he has been steady. Uh, and now, now, my thing with this, Trav, is uh, they're very fortunate to have a guy like Bennett and have had, for him to have had the experience that he has when the, when the starter goes down. Uh, I mean, the question still goes with, I mean, if Alabama runs the table, how would Bennett do against them? They've got Kentucky that's coming up. 
uh, how would Bennett do in the playoffs? But for the here and the now, uh, between uh, Bennett doing basically what the coaches want him to do, and that defense that basically covers all sins uh, that this team commits, uh, it's a combination that's working. But as you said, will be sorely tested, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, that's an interesting matchup that we'll get into in a, here in a couple of days on second helping when we preview the upcoming weekend with Georgia and Kentucky. Um, I have concerns for Kentucky similar to what I had for Arkansas going into that game against Georgia, but we'll get more into those later in the week. I'm starting to feel like Stetson Bennett might be the best route for Georgia. And I'm not saying that because I think Stetson Bennett is uh, worthy of consideration for your Heisman trophy vote, Brent, but not only because he's shown to be pretty efficient throwing it, but what he can do with his legs. Those are yeah. things that you're not going to get from JT Daniels. And when you talk about potential matchups with, say, an Alabama down the road, that's what's going to give Alabama more problems, in my True. opinion, than JT Daniels sitting in the pocket. That's yeah. the yeah. way I view it. Now, look, we do have, we do have, uh, we do have, uh, we have a game to go on where Stetson Bennett is involved with Alabama. We saw it in Tuscaloosa last year. And when that run game in the first half against Alabama was sort of doing its thing with Zamir White, Kendall Milton, and uh, James Cook producing an explosive play in the passing game in Tuscaloosa, it was fine. When Georgia either couldn't or wouldn't run the ball as well in the second half and put too much on Stetson Bennett, that's when the game got away from the Bulldogs. So, it's interesting to consider for down the road, but right now Georgia looking very, very good and getting production from some guys that three, four, five, six weeks ago, most folks, as far as receiving production goes, mm-hmm. wouldn't have thought much about that. So Georgia set to host Kentucky in what has all the looks of the SEC Eastern Division Championship game. Still early in the season, but I right. mean, that's kind of where we're at. Hey, it looked like Missouri finally found a team it could outscore over the weekend. <laughs> that team being North yeah. Texas. North Texas coming in at 1-3 and three and 0-2 oh and in Conference USA. Still, though, Missouri gives up 35 points in the game. Man. North Texas didn't certainly run it like, say, Boston College or Tennessee the last couple of weeks. So that was a good thing, I guess. And Missouri offensively got back to Tyler Beatty, putting up big numbers. Uh, number second in the league, uh, 675 yards rushing uh, at this point. And they, they really needed that, uh, certainly from him. Uh, he and Connor Basilak give them a threat. Uh, but, but Trav, uh, this number to me sums up Missouri in a nutshell. Missouri defense allowing 286 yards rushing per game. Trav, you're not going to beat very many people allowing that much rushing yards per game, are you? No, and I talk about Missouri is showing some improvement against the run. Still gave up nearly 200 rushing yards to North Texas. North Texas threw it for 305 and four touchdowns. So, yeah, this still isn't the Missouri defense that no. you feel very confident in with a very confident A&M team now set to go to Como this week in a game that we thought maybe in the preseason a little bit of a trap 
for a and well, A&M isn't in any mode to, to look no. at anyone as a trap at this point. Even with the win over Alabama, you're still talking about a team with two conference losses. So uh, we'll see what happens, and we'll preview that one again coming up later in the week. LSU and Kentucky. I took LSU in this game, Brent, simply because it made no sense. Yeah, well, absolutely. I think we've moved beyond even that sort of rationale in the Ed Orgeron era at LSU, which looks to be coming to the station, entering the station maybe in the not-too-distant future. After Kentucky really takes the Tigers to task, a game that Kentucky took control of from the outset, uh, 14 to nothing at the half, but it had the feel of being more like 28 or 35 to nothing. Uh, and then Will Levis on a one-yard touchdown run there early in the third quarter essentially ends the game at 21 to nothing. Levis, a little bit. Will Levis, a little bit of Walter Lewis on yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Uh, he throws for 145 and three touchdowns, and he runs for 75 and a couple of scores, Brett. Well, he he has been steady for them, uh, and just a little bit about both teams. Uh, LSU kind of did just the opposite. That believe it or not, they were able to run the ball a little bit. Yeah. That Davis Price had 147. Now Max Johnson's numbers weren't terrible, but but they weren't uh, re- they weren't really effective. Here's the problem right now at LSU, even above and beyond what's going on with O, is. Their, their best players are not on the field. Kayshawn Boutte now is out for the year, uh, which is crippling in it, Trav. Uh, he was their best receiver by four. Uh, Stingley, uh, it, it, this is out indefinitely. Uh, look, I, I may be wrong, but I think this may be a situation where Stingley's advisor, quote-unquote, has said, yeah. look, look, this team's not going anywhere uh, and you may need to set the rest of this year out. Uh, but look, there are all kinds of uh, scenarios right now that are, that are being talked about for Orgeron. Of course, he was asked yesterday about it on Monday, and he said, well, they haven't told me that I'm not the coach yet, is kind of where that <laughs> went, uh, Trav. So I thought that was an interesting answer. But, but again, look, for uh, for Kentucky, uh, again, to me, and, and I can sum this up real quick, Levis is steady, but uh, when this team runs the ball, Trav, they're almost hard, they're they're really hard to beat. Uh, I, I mean, your guy Chris Rodriguez, oh yeah. my, uh, one forty-seven leads the league in rushing. Cavosi uh, uh, Smoke had one hundred and four. Wondell Robinson leads the league with five hundred twenty-seven yards uh, receiving. Uh, I mean, uh, Trav, listen, going into the year. Did in Kentucky's wildest dreams, did they think they'd have the leading rusher and the leading receiver in the league? I think they hoped they would because that's <laughs> the way they like to play. But yeah, Christian Rodriguez is just one of those guys that no one really talks about. But it seems like I talked about rubber stamp stat lines week to week. Seems like you can count on that type of number. Absolutely. From Christian Rodriguez on a weekly basis. And absolutely, when Cavassier Smoke gets it going along with him. That one-two punch with 251 rushing yards against LSU between them. Going to be a little different dog, so to speak. Yes. This yes. week, though, when the, when the Cats travel to Athens. And it is. It's ironic. We've talked so much the last few years about where's this LSU run game. Now, 2019, um, 
you know, you've got uh, you got Joey B. And so you got that passing game Mm -hmm. and you're going to ride that. Uh, But it it finally shows up in Lexington with Ty Davis price going for a buck 47 of his own couple of touchdowns. You said it too about Kayshawn Butte. That's your, your, your wording there was perfect crippling. And so now kind of like it was for Butte a year ago as a true freshman, a guy like Brian Thomas jr. Probably has to take his game. I don't think there's any probably about it. He has to take his game to an entirely different level. If LSU is going to be even competitive, starting this week with the road trip from the Gators to Baton Rouge. Hey, um, let's talk about, we need to talk about for sure, this nightcap from Saturday night. Wow, what a football game in College Station, Texas. The homestanding Aggies. You know, I think A&M paid Jimbo Fisher that 7.5 a year initially to beat Alabama. Now, yeah. the raise over the summer, I think that was to beat everybody else. Yes. But uh, he checked that first hurdle, becoming the first Nick Saban assistant to take out his old boss in the win for the Aggies in a game in which you give Texas A&M more credit than you discredit Alabama. Although, we'll get around to that. Yeah. Is that Calzada? played the game of his young life, no doubt about it. 21-31, 285, leaves the game with what looks like a knee injury late, comes back, able to engineer the winning drive for the Aggies to set up the 28-yard field goal for Seth Small. And again, a perfect illustration of stats oftentimes being for losers in some ways, Brent, because total yards, total snaps, those type of things, all very much in Alabama's favor. But then... You dig in to say red zone work. Yeah, yeah. And that's where you start to look at it from the Alabama perspective and cringe just a little bit. Uh, well, and and as we look at both these teams real quick, the um, uh, and I'm curious your take on this, and I'm going to give Chris Landry credit for this, who's a really good analyst. Uh, he said Jimbo Fisher did a number of things to help Calzada. And he said that they moved the pocket consistently uh, to kind of get him out of the uh, end of the rush. They used a lot of motion to create the eye candy and called a lot of runs and passes with banks as part of the passing game. And listen, uh, you and I have talked about this for months, haven't we, Trav? I still don't know with their skill position people um, Widemeyer, uh, Anaya Smith, who caused Bama trouble all night long, uh, Spiller in, in that group. I, I mean, you've got to give Jimbo a lot of credit for what he did. And, and Calzada did nothing like this before the Alabama game. Uh, and I'm not saying that Fisher is a magician, but I give them credit for what they, they took what they had and they got the, the optimal effort and performance out of them. Uh, and, and I'm curious if you, if you saw similar things in what Calzada did Saturday night. Yeah, they've, they've had the people around the quarterback Absolutely. position. We talked about that throughout the season, that you still have Isaiah Spiller, you still have Devon A-Chain, you still have Jalen Weidermeyer at tight end, you have Anias Smith, and you knew going into that game, I wrote about it at BamaOnline.com in my five predictions piece. From the outset, Spiller and Weidermeyer were going to be featured. Absolutely. Uh, those are 
the easiest type of touches you can get a quarterback, and they involve probably A&M's top two offensive players. And so Jimbo did just that. I think there's credence to the motion and eye candy that continues to give Alabama problems uh, pre-snap, kind of undisciplined with their eyes in a lot of ways still. And so all of that came into play. As much as anything, I give A&M credit for answering just when it looked like Alabama yeah, was about right. to do what Alabama seemingly always does. When Alabama blocked the punt there in the third quarter to make it a 24-17 to 17 game, A-Chain takes the ensuing kickoff 96 yards for a touchdown to push it back to 14. Uh, when Alabama eventually takes the lead at 38-31 to 31 there in the fourth quarter, Calzada, and that offense does exactly what it needs to do with some help from Alabama special teams, kick off out of bounds, kind of uh, help that drive get started. But you still had to make plays. Um, Anaya Smith, very big early and late in the game. Weidermeyer, big in the second quarter, first, second quarter time frame. And their stars played like it around yes, the quarterback. They did. And give that offensive line a lot of credit, too, for A&M, because we're talking about a group with two true freshman starters, as we told you last week, center and right tackle. And Alabama, whether it brought three, four, five-man rush, uh, when Calzada was in the pocket, they weren't able to really affect him all that much. And, uh, you know, there was coaching situations involving Alabama that continue to be raked over here yes. three or four days after the game. Nick Saban decides to take three timeouts into the half, down 14, with AM backed up inside its own 10 late in the second quarter. Uh, and then just the approach to red zone offense with an emphasis on inside the five, uh, the uh, Aggies and, and Bill O'Brien, some of the heat he's catching this week. Yeah, and and I, I frankly think some of that's justified, and and I I thought you chronicled a lot of this well, and and I think to me the three like three of the big things going on right now would be, uh, and you wrote about these things is uh, why is Bama having so much trouble getting pressure on the quarterback, particularly when you've almost got a revamp Aggie offensive line. Um, because of the injuries, uh, obviously the reluctance to run um, uh, uh, as they've had success, particularly against Ole Miss, Brian uh, Robinson. Yeah. Robinson in the red zone, it just, frankly, just kind of mystifying uh, with some of that too. Now I do, I do give the tight coaches uh, some credit because in the second half, uh, I mean they really shut. A&M down for four or five consecutive drives, uh, but but I'm with you. I I, I where uh, A&M did something different that no one else did uh, is after after Alabama goes up 38-31, they tie the game. Man. Alabama goes three and out uh, at, at that point. So and again, Travis, one of those things. Uh, one play on on Bama's defense, one play on Bama's offense, and, and it's a different result. But but you got to give A and M a lot of credit. Here were A and M's drives in the second half, leading up to the last two possessions that ended up winning the game. A and M three plays six yards. A uh, and M three plays minus one yard. A and M four plays fifteen yards. A and M three plays four yards. 
the final two drives of the game, six plays, 65 yards, touchdown, eight plays, 54 yards, field goal. I think A&M had basically all of its total yardage for the most part on those final two drives. So it's not always how much you do. It's when you do it. Absolutely. And all the credit for A&M for getting the job done um, offensively with those last two drives and defensively after Alabama had had four straight scoring possessions there in the second half. Uh, the A&M defense produced a big three and out in a tie game and got the ball back to the Aggies with 2.08 left. And the rest, as they say, is history. Well, Brent, we're just about that on this edition of Second Helping, <laughs> covering, reviewing week six in the Southeastern Conference. If you haven't already, how about a subscription to Second Helping? It's easy as a click or two. If you leave us a rating and a review, we would appreciate that as well. Coming up in a couple of days, Brent, we're going to have some more big, big games, perhaps as we said at the outset of the podcast the game of the year, at least to this point in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, uh, absolutely. And, and oh, by the way, the numbers came out uh, on Tuesday. Uh, certainly no surprise was it Trail Bama A&M, the second most watched game next to Georgia Clemson. It so, worked out well for CBS in the end, didn't it? Wow. <laughs> Absolutely, it did. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about that. And a lot of people thought that that it would be a rout uh, at that point. But still, and, and certainly uh, Georgia fans excited. They're number one uh, unanimous first time since 1982. So I'm, I'm, Trev. I'm speaking to that Jacksonville, uh, Georgia Bulldog Club on Thursday night. I'm guessing that might be a happy bunch. You ain't going to be able to tell them nothing, Brent. You're not going to be able to tell those folks nothing. They're atop the world right now, as they should be. And it'll be, in a lot of ways, a psyche Saturday coming up. How does Alabama rebound staying on the road at Mississippi State? How does A&M handle the success of beating Alabama as it travels to Como to take on Missouri? So plenty to talk about in a couple of days when we get you ready for week seven in the Southeastern Conference. For now, though, Brent, appreciate it, as always. Me too, pal. Well, we look forward to uh, uh, previewing the coming Saturday in the next few days. No doubt about it. For Brent Beard and Travis Ryer, thanking you once again for joining us right here on Second Helping, the number one podcast of choice for fans of the best league in all of collegiate athletics, that, of course, being the Southeastern Conference. Until next time, so long, everybody. <laughs>